Well, it's really good to see all you guys, uh, especially if you're back uh, from school. Um, I'm going to be preaching from Luke 17. You can find the preaching text in your bulletins in page 4, and I'll read to you starting verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God. This story is not merely a story of physical healing, but there's something deeper going on. And we can see that something deeper in verse uh, 19. Jesus says to the man who returns, your faith has made you well. Now that seems like an odd redundancy to us, right? Don't we already know that the man has been healed? Why is Jesus stating the obvious, that he's well? And the pro- part of the problem is that uh, in the original language, there's a wordplay going on. And of course, in translations, you don't really get the wordplay, right? So that when Jesus says, your faith has made you well, the underlying Greek word there is suzo. And suzo has two meanings. The... Sorry about that. <laughs> suzo has two meanings. The secondary meaning is physical healing, right? Physical wellness. But the primary meaning is salvation, is to be saved. And so what Luke is giving us then is a story of salvation. He's giving us a conversion story. Now that by itself is worthy of our interest, but there's something else. Luke gives us a puzzle. And the puzzle is this. Were there not ten lepers who came in contact with Jesus, and yet only one truly connects to Jesus? Right? Only one comes away from this encounter with Jesus, not only physically healed, but forgiven of his sins, receiving salvation. And so the question is why? So I want you to keep that question in your minds as we go through the story. And so here's my outline. Number one, three points. We're going to take a step back and we're going to look at the context and ask what does leprosy mean? You know, what, what symbolic meaning did it have in that time and culture? And then secondly, we're going to look at the story. We're going to see the connection between faith and gratitude. And then number three, we're going to ask finally the question, why just one? What set him apart? Okay, so point number one, leprosy. The story begins in verse 12. Jesus is met by ten lepers. Now, what is leprosy? Leprosy was one of the most horrendous diseases that you could have in the ancient world. It was essentially a skin disease. It was a wasting, incurable disease that left you horribly disfigured. And literally, your body and face 
would fall apart until eventually, painfully, you would die. Now that by itself, you know, just the physical agony is bad enough, but what made leprosy an absolute horror in the ancient world was its social effects. Because you see, leprosy was highly infectious. And therefore, if you contracted leprosy, you could no longer be a part of human society. You had to leave your family, leave your friends, leave home, and live outside the bounds of civilization in total isolation, completely cut off from your community. Now, the Bible spends a surprising amount of space talking about leprosy, and I say surprising because why should it be that of all the diseases in the ancient world, right? You know, leprosy, I mean, uh, malaria, cholera, you know, tuberculosis. We, we can go on and on. Why, of all the diseases out there, does the Bible focus and give this special attention to leprosy? And the answer is that in the Bible, leprosy is more than just a disease. It's a symbol. It's a picture of a deeper spiritual reality. It's an outward sign of an inward spiritual truth. And if you've been in Sunday school, right, that language, that paradigm should sound awfully familiar to you. Where else do we see that? We see that in the sacraments, right? And so leprosy was a kind of anti-sacrament. It was an outward sign of the corruption and the evil and the sin in the human heart. Now we need to be very careful here because is the Bible saying that lepers are particularly bad sinners, right? Is it the case that lepers... You know, the toxic brew in their evil hearts is just so bad that it bubbles up to the surface and they break out in leprosy. And actually, the disciples asked a very similar question to uh, Jesus in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, uh, the disciples see a blind man and they, they ask Jesus, Master, who sinned that he is blind? Was it him or was it his father's sins? And what does Jesus say? Do you remember? Jesus says, Neither the man nor his father sinned, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying there is not a one-to-one correspondence between disease, between leprosy and sin, but that the general reality of leprosy is the consequence, it's the outworkings of human sin and human rebellion. Does that make sense? And so leprosy is a vivid, dramatic picture of what sin is. The, the corrosive effects of sin, the fact that sin rips communities apart, and that eventually leads to a withering, painful death. Now, how do we know that the Bible is teaching us this? Well, if you actually look at uh, what Scripture says on leprosy, and, it, and you can find it in the book of Leviticus, it gives you two unusual rules, two rules that really shouldn't be there if leprosy is just a disease. And so what are those two rules? Rule number one, lepers were supposed to live outside the city. Well, that's not unusual, you know, um, because, of course, leprosy was contagious, so they were cut off from their community. But what is unusual is that if by chance someone was to come near a leper without knowing the situation, the leper was required to cry out at the top of his voice, unclean, unclean. Why say that? If the point is to warn someone, why not say, I'm sick, I'm sick. Stay away, I have a contagious disease. Why are they required to use that loaded word, unclean, which in the Bible means sin? And the answer is because what the leper is essentially saying is, 
behold a picture of sin. This is what sin is, okay? So that's the first rule. The second rule is that if by some miracle the leper was healed of his disease, he couldn't just re-enter society. He had to go to the priest. Notice not the doctors. And the priest would inspect the leper, and if he was indeed clean of his disease, the priest would offer an animal sacrifice for the man. He would make the person go through a ritual bath, and then he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the man to signify that he was now clean. What does that ceremony, what does that whole ritual remind you of? Doesn't that seem strikingly similar to what someone does to atone for their sins? Absolutely, because the Bible links sin and leprosy. They both have to go through the exact same ritual. And so therefore, what is the point? What am I trying to say here? Listen, we're modern readers. So when we read the story, you know, we don't quite understand enormous you know, reverberations and cultural meaning so that when the original audience heard the story and they saw that there were 10 lepers, immediately they knew that it wasn't just 10 sick people coming to Jesus, but it was 10 sinners whose primary need was not to be healed of their physical illness, but their sin, the fact that they were cut off from God. All right, so that's point number one. What is leprosy? And the second point is, what, what about the story itself? And Luke gives us these poignant details, I think, that really show us just the agony of the situation. He says that uh, Jesus met the lepers outside the village, right? Again, because leprosy meant you were completely cut off from your, your community. And so because the lepers had to keep their distance from Jesus, they couldn't approach, they call out at the top of their voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Don't pass us by. And you can almost hear the desperation. And Jesus sees the lepers. He has compassion on them and he heals them. But he does it in a very unusual way. What does he tell the, the lepers? He tells them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, wait a minute. You're only supposed to do that after you're healed. What is Jesus doing? You see, Jesus doesn't heal them right there and then, but he's, very, he's being very purposeful, very deliberate. He delays the healing so that off the lepers go and on the way, they're healed. And that's a very important detail. Why? Because we're not told how much time has elapsed. You know, it could have been just a few hours. Maybe it was a few days. But whenever it was, when the moment of healing came, Jesus was no longer there. He was out of sight. And so I want you to imagine the scene, right? The lepers finally are, 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 are free from this debilitating disease. And they're just, you know, can you imagine? They're just like leaping for joy. They're, they're kissing each other. They're, they're hugging each other. They're laughing. They're crying. They're so happy. But the story tells us, Luke tells us, that only one turned back to go and thank Jesus. Now the question, the puzzle, is why? Why didn't the other nine come back? And the answer, it seems like on the surface that this is really just an issue of maybe the one person remembered to say thank you and that the nine simply forgot, right? That the one was uh, polite and the nine were rude. <laughs> you know, and a lot of people actually read the story in that way, that this story, in essence, is a story about manners. But is that what this story is about? No. What is this story about? This story is about faith. 
Because look at what the man does when he goes back. He falls on his face at Jesus' feet, which is an act of absolute adoration and worship. This goes far beyond mere gratitude, but it's worship. And why does he do this? Because he realizes the truth behind the healing. He realizes that he needs Jesus not just for the leprosy of his body, but for the leprosy of his heart. He realizes that behind the gift of healing is the divine giver. He realizes that in Jesus of Nazareth is the long-awaited Messiah and Savior. And the reason why the man returns to thank Jesus is because he alone realizes who Jesus really is. And that's the answer. It's not that simply the nine didn't thank Jesus and the, man, and the one did thank Jesus, but that for the one who returned, his gratitude flowed out from his faith. You see, the two are linked. Luke is giving us a story that links salve, uh, faith and thanksgiving. And I think that it's an appropriate moment here to ask the question, what is thanksgiving? That's an apt question, right? It's uh, fitting for the holidays for this season. What is thanksgiving? And I think that uh, the way we use that word in the English language kind of does us, does us a disservice because we tend to think of thanksgiving as this very spontaneous, natural response of happiness when we receive good things, right? It's just you get something that's good and you're just so happy and that's thankfulness. But is that thanks? Were not the other nine happy and joyful? Of course they were. We could imagine them just leaping with joy, and yet Luke pointedly tells us that the nine were not thankful. Why? And the answer is because thanksgiving, and here I'm going to give you a definition, so listen carefully. Thanksgiving is not delighting and loving the gift, but delighting and loving the giver behind the gift. Let me say that again, okay? Thanksgiving is not delighting and loving the gift, but delighting and loving the giver. And the relationship between the gift and the giver is that the gift tells us about the giver. The gift shows us the character and the quality of the giver, that he cares for us, that he loves us, that he knows our needs, and he supplies what we need. And therefore, biblical gratitude is inherently relational, it's not material. It's an act of faith. And this is why the other nine do not give thanks, even though they received good things. And I think what's so interesting in this story is that the nine show us that it is possible, it is very possible to receive good things and not to be thankful. Did you hear what I just said? It's possible to receive good things and not to be Thankful because for the nine, what they really wanted was to be healed of their leprosy. And when they got that from Jesus, their business with him was done, right? They got what they really wanted. But for the one who returned, what he really wanted ultimately was not the healing per se, it was not the healing by itself. He really wanted Jesus. He understood the deeper meaning behind the healing. And so therefore, because of his faith, he's saved. Now, let's apply this, okay? What does this story mean for us? My question for you is, are you grateful? 
Is there a base note of thanksgiving and joy in your life? And I'm not saying that you have to feel ha-ha happiness, you know, in every situation, in every circumstance. The Bible says there's a time and place for weeping, for sorrow, but beneath the sorrow, is there an undercurrent of thanksgiving in your heart? And if the answer honestly is no, you need to really ask yourself, do you love God or do you just love his gifts? So that as long as things are going well, you're happy and you're thankful, but as but when there are troubles, when there are hardships, does the gratitude just disappear? And if that's the case, you need to really ask yourself, what is your relationship with God based on? Imagine with me this scenario. Imagine that there is a rich man who's extremely wealthy. And one day, he meets this girl. Very pleasant. She's fun to be with. She's great. And so they get engaged. And they get married, and they go on this lavish honeymoon, and everything's going great for a, for a while, until one day, about a year later, suddenly, the man's business collapses. Everything goes wrong. He has to declare bankruptcy, and that night, he goes home, and he sits down with his wife, and he says, you know, darling, I have some bad news and some good news. The bad news is that the business doesn't exist anymore. I'm penniless. But the good news is that we have each other, that we love each other. And his wife uh, pauses for a moment and she thinks for a while and she says, you know what? I don't think this relationship is going to work. I want a divorce. What is that man going to say in response? He is going to say, I realize that you married me for my money. You don't love me. You love the things that my money can buy for you. Now listen to me, okay? Are we not saying the exact same thing to God when thanksgiving is lacking in our lives? Are we not saying to God, God, you're not enough. What I really need, what I truly desire is a job, is relationships, romance, is accomplishments in my life. If you say that, what you're really saying to God is, God, I'm just using you to get to what I really want. You know, you're just treating God as some sort of heavenly sugar daddy, right? He's a means to an end. But do you believe Jesus when he says on the Sermon on the Mount, do not be anxious for anything. Why? For your heavenly Father knows what you need. What is Jesus saying? That our Father in heaven will always give us those good things that we need. But sometimes, sometimes God withholds those things which you think you need, but you really don't. And if you grumble, and as a result, if you're discontent and you're upset and you're mad at God, are you not telling God, God, I married you for your money. And so cough up the goods. Otherwise, I don't think this relationship is going to work anymore. Well, how do we know now? You know, how do we know that whether we love God for God or whether we just love his stuff? Let me give you a very practical, a very simple test. And the test is this. Look at your prayer lives. When you pray, do you find that you mostly pray asking God to do things for you? Or in your prayers, are you delighting in and worshiping God? 
what is your prayers mostly consist of? Is it mostly consisting of asking God for stuff or adoring and loving God? So what's the point here? The second point is this short story shows us that true faith always manifests itself in gratitude. And what is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is delighting and loving the giver and not ultimately in the gift. All right, so third point. And the question is here, why just the one? What sets him apart? And here Luke gives us a surprising twist. You know, and I didn't hear it, but you were supposed to gasp when you heard this twist at the end of the story, okay? And what's the surprising twist? Luke tells us that the one who returned was, are you ready? A Samaritan. Now, what is a Samaritan? Well, you know, for us, it doesn't quite have that resonance, right? So we need to go a little bit into the history. And you can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 17. Um, the kingdom of Israel was split into two after the reign of Solomon. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, about 700 years before the time of Christ, was conquered by the Assyrian Empire. And if you know, one uh, uh, of the problems of empires, how do you keep your occupied lands from rising up in rebellion against you, right? How do you keep uh, your conquered lands loyal to you? And the way the Assyrians solved that problem is they went into the northern kingdom and they pulled out all of the educated and cultural and financial elite and they, they did all these mass deportations and they sent them into exile in Assyria. And then to repopulate the land, they brought in all of these Assyrians and all these other ethnic groups to intermarry with the people, to intermarry with the Jews who were remaining there. And what resulted was the people called the Samaritans. So the Samaritans were half Jewish, half Assyrian. They believed in the God of Israel, but they also worshipped the pagan gods of Assyria. Now, listen, the Jews hated, hated the, uh, the Samaritans. There was no one they reviled more than the Samaritans. Why? Because the Samaritans were a painful, visible reminder constantly that the Jews were a conquered people. And not only that, ooh, what really made them angry was that the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jewish, half-Gentile. And so what's the point? You know, what am I trying to say? That the Samaritans were the ultimate outsiders from the Jewish perspective. And this Samaritan was an outsider twice over. It's like a double whammy of outsiderness, you know? He's a Samaritan and he's a leper. And this is the very thing that Jesus points out and emphasizes, right? He says in verse 18, was there no one, uh, verse 18, was there no one found to return other than this foreigner, than this outsider? What is Jesus saying? That the outsider embraced him. We see this again and again throughout the Bible, right? It's not the rich who embrace Jesus, but the poor. It's not the morally upright, but the prostitutes and the tax collectors. It's not the strong, but the weak. It's not the ethnic Jews, but the Gentiles. We see this again and again, the same pattern over and over again, right? That the cultural, financial, uh, moral insiders reject Jesus, but the outsiders embrace Jesus. Why is that? And the answer is grace. Because you see, when you receive a gift and you are an insider, you are a somebody, 
then you naturally think the reason why you received that good thing is because you earned it. You, you, you merited it, right? But if you receive a gift and you are an outsider, you're a nobody, then you know there was nothing you did. It is a free gift. You see, when an insider receives a gift, he thanks himself. But when an outsider receives a gift, he thanks the giver. And here's the application, here's the question. If it is the case that you do not have a heart of thanksgiving in your life, then you really need to ask yourself this question, is it because you are entitled? Is it because you think you deserve, you merit good things coming into your life and oh, you're so bitter and mad that it doesn't? You need to ask yourself, what is your relationship with God based on? Is it based on merit or is it based on grace? Let me close with this final question, this final point. And the question is this, how is it that the Samaritan, an outsider twice over, could receive the gift of being brought into the love and the fellowship of God. Let me, let, me, let me put the question to you. How is it that you and me, are we not outsiders? Are we not Gentiles? How is it that you and me, who have a leprosy of the heart, right, who love God for his stuff and not really for him, who day, and day, day again and day after, we just use God to get to what we really want, how can we be brought into the love and the fellowship of God? And the answer Luke gives us in verse 11. If you look at verse 11, Luke reminds us at the very beginning of the story that Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. What was waiting for Jesus in Jerusalem? You see, in Jerusalem, on the cross, Jesus became the ultimate outsider. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13, reminds us emphatically that Jesus was crucified outside the city gates. Why is that such an important detail, the fact that Jesus was crucified outside the city, not inside? What is on the outside of the city? It's where the lepers live. It's where all those who are rejected. You see, in Roman culture, crucifixion meant... Crucifixion was not just a painful way to get rid of your enemies but it represented the absolute rejection of your culture. It represented the absolute being cut off from your people. And that's why Roman crucifixion always, without exception, happened outside the city gates. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified outside the city. And that is the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel was that Jesus, who is the ultimate insider, was cast out so that we who are outsiders could be brought in. The gospel is that Jesus was cast out so that we could be brought in. And when you believe that, when the truth of that thrills your heart, when it melts your heart, a wellspring of thanksgiving and joy will overflow in your life. That's how the gospel works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. for the gift of salvation, that we can know you, that we could be reconciled with the Father. And Lord, we pray that uh, all these other good things that we have, family, homes, uh, job, these are good things. And we're so happy that you give them to us, but not ultimately for itself, but because you care for us, you love us. 
And Lord, we pray that you would teach us the secret of contentment. So that even when we don't receive those things which we think we need, we still love you and we delight in you and we praise you. Make us, O Lord, a people of thanksgiving. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.